on you about that again. Whew. All right. Now, think with me, if you will, about a time, I'm sure we've heard stories where, where people have, have had an opportunity to step into something new, but they've seen the uncertainty, they've seen some risk involved, and instead of jump in and take that risk, they've passed. I was trying to think of examples, and I, I couldn't pull up like a specific name necessarily, but I know that there's stories of guys who were, you know, some of the first couple people who created Apple, and they hit hard times, and there were, there were guys that said, uh, sorry, I'm out, and they, they turned their shares over, and they walked away from the company before the iPhone, right? And the, those handful of shares would now be worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, right? Because they, they saw the risk, they saw the uncertainty, and they're like, man, I, I don't know, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I suspect if we look at our own lives, no matter where we are at in our lives, we can think of some situations like that. Myself, one that came up, uh, young Sean, when he was graduating from high school, played volleyball through high school. I uh, went to Grant McEwen for my first year of university in Edmonton. Um, and just before the school year started, uh, the church that I was a part of hosted a, a beach volleyball tournament. It was kind of for our youth and young adults and whatever else. So uh, we entered, I entered with a couple of friends who I knew from the church. We grew up in youth group together and we also played high school volleyball and kind of knew each other through those circles. And it turned out that we won. I mean, good job, young Sean. Uh, you, you did a thing and the other guys carried the team, I'm sure, but we, we did it. But one of the things that happened at this tournament is there was another guy there who I think we beat in the final, actually, as, as I think about the story who was the manager of the volleyball team at Grant McEwen. And so in the early orientation days, we happened to pass each other in the halls. And he said, hey, wait, didn't, didn't you just beat me in a tournament last weekend or something? I was like, well, yeah, I did. And, you know, what, whatever. It's, I'm here now. I'm here for this, taking this program. And he said, you need to try out for the team. Now, ACAC College Volleyball, this, this is a big deal, right? Not the biggest. It's a pretty big deal. And I listened and I thought, that sounds fantastic, that's a great idea. But as I thought about it, I thought to myself, Sean, how do you feel about maybe getting cut again? It only happened, it happened once or twice in the past and it was devastating, devastating. So I saw this risk and I could have stepped in and what I, I, I might have made the team, I might not have made the team, but I didn't even try because I saw the uncertainty, I saw the risk. And I said, no, I'm not, not gonna do it, not gonna, not gonna, not gonna risk getting cut. And so a couple weeks into the into tryouts, when school had started, again I, I passed this guy in the hall, and he said, "Dude, where where have you been? We've been we've been the guys have been running for a week now." And I was like, "I've heard about those guys running lines and the garbage cans that are full after, and it's disgusting." I said, "No, I just I I can't do it." And it's one of those things that I look back on and think, "Why didn't I at least step out?" Right? I, I, I found myself stuck in that analysis paralysis of what might happen, what could happen. I might be great, it might be a disaster, I might have my feelings hurt and get cut, all these things, right? Just stuck in that place where I, I had an opportunity and rather than even try, I just tried to play it safe, protect my little 18-year-old heart from being hurt, and I missed out. I, know, I don't know about you, but for me, this, is not, this was not a one-time story. When I'm not sure of how something might turn out, when there's some uncertainty, uh, it's really easy for me to just kind of get stuck in that analysis paralysis position and do nothing, and more often than not, miss out on some really great opportunities. 
Now, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 11 this morning, so if you've got a Bible, I invite you to open up there. And as we've been walking through this wisdom book, remember that, that the Israelites were in a spot and the teacher was ad- addressing some of the same stuff. There was some uncertainty about life. They weren't sure where they were going. They, they weren't sure what the future held. And so he was trying to write into this to, to teach them, to encourage them, to draw them in. There's a lot of change going on for Israel in these days at this time. They had kind of grown and developed as an agricultural nation. Remember, uh, when they were in Egypt, they were known to have this far-off place because they were farmers, and they, they took care of their sheep there, and their practices were detestable to the Egyptians, so they, they got the good farmland. And then as they moved and, and traveled, that was, they moved their herds with them, and they were an agricultural people. But now at this time in their history, they find themselves settled in Israel, right on kind of the crux of the trade routes between the empire of Egypt and southward, would come up and through there up to what we would now call Europe and Asia. And they would travel right through Israel. And that meant all of a sudden, this was new for them, that fortunes could be made if you could get in the trade industry, which was not farming, completely different. But not only could they be made, they could be lost just as quickly. And some of the the Israelites had stepped out and they had tried to to jump into this new burgeoning industry and they tried their hand at, at, at the trading business and they'd lost and they'd lost big time. And Solomon addressed this for us back in, in chapter four, or chapter five, excuse me. And then there were some others who saw those early adopters, those risk takers, and said, Man, that guy lost everything. I'm I'm not even gonna try. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to eliminate as much risk as I can out of my life. I'm not even going to try. But the thing that hopefully I've learned from my volleyball tryout, and the thing that the Israelites needed to learn, was that playing it safe isn't always safe, nor is it always wise. And as the book of Ecclesiastes comes to a close, Solomon's going to give us two big pieces of wisdom on how we should live in an uncertain world because there's lots of uncertainty around us. And the first is in our passage today, and it has to do with how we work, the things we do, and the things that we possess. So let me start reading for us from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This is verse 1. The teacher writes, Send your bread, or, or cast your bread, on the surface of the water, for after many days you may find it. Now, let me ask a question. How many of us remember going down to the local pond or river where the ducks or geese or swans were, taking some bread and throwing it in to feed the geese? Anybody? You got a couple? Okay, a few, yeah. We're not supposed to do that anymore, so don't do that anymore. But I remember, I've got, I, I remember being bitten by a swan, actually, when I was like four or five in Camrose. And I, you know, I don't like swans anymore because of that. They're vile creatures. But I remember walking down to the lake with my, with my grandpa and, and feeding the swans. But what happened when you took that chunk of bun or that piece of nice squishy white bread and you, you balled it up and you threw it into the water? What happened to it? It just like bleh, disintegrated and whatever was left sunk to the bottom, right? What are we talking about here? How can you put bread on water and see it come back in days? Even if you were thinking, when you heard bread, you didn't think of, you know, Dempster's squishy white, but you thought of, like, Israelite pita, crunchy, like, chip almost, right? That, at least, you could probably put on the water, on the bow, and see it at least flow maybe to the corner. 
But would it come back? What are we talking about here? It seems like foolish advice. Well, there seems to be uh, at least one of a couple different things that are, that are going on here. And the first is this. Again, remember, Israel is at this kind of port crossroads center. So send out your bread might be talking about the sea trade. Now, this is still a risky business today. We don't have to go too far back in the news to find, you know, boats sink, boats twist and get stuck in a major canal and block business for weeks and weeks and weeks. This is risky business today. But even back then, it was, it was way riskier, right? The, the journey across the Mediterranean was long and dangerous, and there was no way to know if your boat was still safe. It's not like they had GPS. You couldn't phone up the, the ship and say, how's it going? It's been a few days. Are you there yet, right? So this was, this was risky business to put cargo on the sea. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings 10 that King Solomon had a fleet of ships that would go out and they would return with gold and silver and ivory once every three years. That's a lot of waiting from when that got sent out to when it comes back, right? And who knows what's happening? And so with this idea in mind, one, one translation actually renders verse one as ship your grain across the sea. And after many days, you may see a return. It's saying, listen, dare to take a risk. Be bold, take some risks. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, we might say, right? And so we're being encouraged to take risks, to step out, to be bold here, but also not to be foolish. Look at the caution in verse 2. Give a portion or, or divide your means to seven or even eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. We might say diversify your investments, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. He's saying, sure, there's a risk. This is a risky thing, but it doesn't mean do nothing. It means you're going to have to take some chances. Be bold, but be wise, because you don't know and you can't know how it will work out for sure. Jesus gives us some similar advice in the parable of the talents. Remember that one? He tells us the story of a, a rich uh, landowner, a rich business person who heads out on a journey. Before he goes, he gives one of his servants five talents of money, another servant two talents of money, and another a single talent of money, all according to what they were able to do. Well, the first gets after it, right? He, he gets to work, he makes trade, he does some business, he has some good investments, whatever he does, he doubles the money. Nice work. The second one, the same thing. Even though he starts with a smaller sum, he, he gets to work, he does the things, and he doubles his master's money as well. But the third one, the third one's like young Sean. He, he's afraid. He sees the unknowns. He sees and is paralyzed with a potential for loss. He, we, we're told that, that he recognizes that his, the, the, his, the ruler, his master, is, is a harsh man. He sees the potential for consequences, and he just buries the money in the ground. It's definitely going to be there. Right? It's safe. He's not going to lose it. And it seems like a good choice at the time. When that master came home, the first two servants were rewarded, weren't they? But the third, the one who played it safe, was rebuked. And even, Jesus, this is Jesus telling a story. He said he was even called wicked and lazy and worthless. Those are, those are big words. Jesus' point is that we need to work diligently in and for the kingdom of God. And that means taking risks. 
It means stepping out in faith. I heard a quote on a podcast this week. I've, I've heard people say it a, a number of times, so I don't know where it's from, so I can't tell you who it's from. But the pastor said, if what you're doing with your life makes sense, that can be a bit of a problem. If the plans you have for your life are, are good and easy and under your control as a Christian, that can be a bit of a problem. If the plans you have for your church don't need God to show up to make them happen, what are you even doing? It's kind of the gist of it, right? We have to step out and take risks. We have to, to know that if, if, if we try this thing and God doesn't show up, we're all gonna look foolish. But that's okay. That's what we're talking about here. We gotta take the risks. Now, sea trade isn't the only kind of risk that in, is in our faces. I don't often put stuff on a boat and ship it to the city for sale and hope that it comes back in a few days, so maybe you can identify with that either. But risks we take, we go to school hoping that there will be a job in that field when we graduate. Man, that, does that ever flex and float, doesn't it? Writers might spend years on a book hoping that when it gets to a certain point, a publisher will pick it up. We buy or sell real estate or decide to rent instead or whatever that might be. That's a risk. We travel. There's risks involved with traveling. Even trying new food. Talk to maybe especially kids about this, right? No, it's really good. No, no, I just want plain noodles still. No, no, this is really good, right? It's a risk. Choosing a doctor, choosing a surgeon, all of these things are risks. They're uncertain outcomes. We even take risks when we give money to the poor. Have you thought about that? Remember back in chapter 4, Solomon said that, that he looked out and he saw all the oppression that happens under the sun. And he says, I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to help them. So could it be that even in this verse now, he's, he's remembering chapter 4, and he's talking about the risk of giving to the poor. Now back in, in the Middle Ages, many commentators saw that in this passage. And so they would suggest that, that sending out your bread on the water meant give to the poor. Be generous with those who don't have much. And in a lot of ways, this is a risk too, isn't it? From a, a purely secular perspective, giving to the poor looks like putting money down the drain. You don't know what they'll do with it. You don't know if they'll be wise or foolish or where it will end up. Even giving to some charitable organizations can be risky, right? You don't know where it will end up, if it will actually go, where, the, where they say it will go, all these things. And you'll definitely never see it again. But it's a risk. And sometimes Christians and churches are seen as soft targets. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I know for a fact from answering a door at a church or whatever, being with people that I've been taken advantage of more than once in my giving to the poor. But does that mean I say, well, you hurt me, somebody hurt me once, so I'm never giving again? No, of course not. It's a risk. The teacher assures us that after many days, you will get it back. Our, our generosity, that risk-taking, will bear fruit. It may look like that good deed has just been like that fluffy white bun that hit the water and just disintegrated. But when the water dries, we will see it again. 
And this goes beyond just the occasional donation or gift because verse 2 says, give a portion to seven or even eight. This is a poetic way of saying, be really generous. Lots of times in our, our poetry and wisdom books, we see, uh, you know, the, the writer Solomon does this a lot, saying, you know, there's three things I don't understand, four that don't make sense to my mind. This is, this is a poetic way of saying, man, there's so much to learn. But here he picks specific numbers. Seven is the number of perfection or of completeness. So when he says, give to seven, that's be really generous, be completely generous. Or even eight, that means go beyond that even. The call is to give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Now, when we look around us and we see disaster or potential for disaster on the horizon, even start to feel anxiety about maybe something might go wrong, what do we tend to do? We saw this in the first few weeks of COVID when you walked into the grocery stores. What do we do? Help me out. Hoard. I've got 800 rolls of toilet paper in the basement. Going to be good forever, right? Our natural tendency is to hoard in anticipation of scarcity, whether that's real scarcity or just imagined. Now, of course, it is wise to plan ahead to count the cost. But here in verse 2 and many other places in Scripture as well, we are encouraged to keep a loose grip on our stuff. Again, back in chapter 5, Solomon exclaimed, The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. Jesus echoes this in Luke chapter 12, saying, One's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. Solomon keeps hitting on this throughout this book, that the stuff that we have, it's all a gift from God, and it's not meant for us to just collect and say, look at all my stuff, but it's to be used to, to first recognize that we have a God who loves us and has blessed us, but then to be used to bless others, to be generous. And in doing so, it, it is a risk. You take a risk. But what's the return? Because verse 1 does say you will see a return, right? Let me point you to a couple other places in Scripture. Proverbs 22, verse 9. You read that a generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 19, 17. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give return to a lender. Now, I don't know how many times you have lent money or stuff to someone. Sometimes, you know, you lend a, you know, I lent skis to someone the other day, and, and you hope they bring them back in one piece. If I'm going to lend to the Lord, I'm pretty sure he's good for it, to get it back in one piece and exactly what I want. Maybe even with some kind of interest, although I wouldn't, you know. Deuteronomy 15:10, Give to him, and don't have a stingy heart when you give. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. Jesus as well in Luke chapter 6 says, Give it, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure with which you use, it will be measured back to you. Picture this. Um, sometimes you can go to you know, a retailer at maybe a farmer's market or a shop, and they say, bring a container and fill it, and that's what, you know, $5 for however many apples you can fit in your bucket. Well, I mean, I remember a convenience store near our house growing up where that was, there was a refill price on the Slurpee machine, right? So whatever cup you brought in, you could fill it up. 
And they said, if you bring a grocery bag in, we'll let you fill it up for $1.29, whatever it was, right? This is the image here. We can come in with this small little cup and take our little smoothie, or we can take this giant basket, fill it up, and when it looks full, kind of give it a shake and let it settle, and then realize we're putting more in this thing. And then when it's full again, some, it doesn't, doesn't work with a smoothie or a slurpee, but you push it in so there's even more. And then not even that point, you kind of huddle underneath your bucket like this, and then it overflows onto your lap, and then you have to like, I don't know, get to the car and maybe drink before you get to the car. But the abundance will be given back to you. We're called to be bold, to be wise, to take risks. The teacher continues in verse 3, kind of talking about this risk-taking, and says, if the clouds are full, they will pour out rain on the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where that tree falls, there it will lie. Now, we just said we don't know when disaster will strike, but here he says, you know what, there, there are some things we can know, right? There is wisdom to be found. It's not a complete, you know, throw a dart and hope you see where it, it lands in the right spot. In, in climates that have a rainy season, like the Mediterranean, when they see the clouds start to form, they know it's time to make sure the roof doesn't leak because it's going to rain. Right? They know that. That's certainty. There, there is observable certainties in the natural laws. The second example is of, is of a tree falling in the woods. And I don't know about you, but if Solomon was the wisest king ever, the wisest person ever, couldn't he have answered for us in this text, when a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, does it make a sound? I don't Missed opportunity there. But if a tree falls in the wood, he says, no matter which way it falls, once it hits the ground, it's not coming back up. You can depend on that. When a tree goes down, it stays down. Again, there are some things in nature that we can know. There are some certainties in the midst of an uncertain world. But the problem, I think it's a bit of a problem with that, is often we can then take, okay, I know this, I know this, and then we demand more certainty than we're allowed to have. We say, I, I know the rain's coming when I see that. I know when a tree falls, it's not standing back up. Therefore, I need to know this and this and this and this with that same certainty. Look at verse 4. The one who watches the wind will not sow. The one who looks at the clouds will not reap. The teacher is speaking the language of the people here, again, of an agricultural society, and using the analogy of a farmer saying, listen, if you wait for the conditions to be exactly perfect, you'll never put that seed in the ground. And if you wait for the condition to be exactly perfect, you'll never get it out either. At some point, even though there's uncertainty, even though you don't know how it's going to turn out, you have to step up and take a risk. Of course, this uh, kind of admonition doesn't apply only to farmers, but for every single one of us. I bet every single one of us, maybe every single day, has an opportunity to step out and take a risk or to sit on the sidelines and wait for better weather. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And there are a lot of things that we might never know. And that's okay. Verse 5, just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In ancient times, when this was originally written, of course, they really didn't have a clue how a child was formed in its mother. 
The psalmist exclaimed in Psalm 139, my bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. They said, this is, this is some amazing process, but God, you knew that at least. We don't have any idea what's going on here, but you did. Now we know more today than they did then, and we have you know, the ability to take pictures and watch things and see things, and it's amazing, but there's still some mystery, isn't there? There's still a lot of awe and beauty and unknown. The point that the teacher is trying to make here, and really throughout the whole book, is this. You don't know the work of God. There are some things that you will just never know, but it's okay, because God makes everything. You, you don't know what God will do next. You don't know his plans for the future. Again, of course, we can, we can guess. We can be wise. There's wisdom. This isn't just, God hasn't just started the world spinning and left us to figure it out. There, he, he speaks, he moves, he talks through his words, through his people. So we can, we can get some, but we will live with a whole lot of uncertainty. That's just the reality of life. And yet there is something we can know for certain, and we're told that in verse 5. Did you catch it? We can know that God makes everything. If there's one thing that we can know, it's that God has made everything and continues to make everything, and there's nothing outside of his control. That means even when things look helpless from our vantage point, he's still in control. And when we know that, and when that, that little bit of information or that, those words on the screen travel from up here, that, okay, I think I agree that, travel down into here, like the core of our being, the, the control center of our lives, when we start to grab that in our heart and we start to lean into that, there is a lot of stability we can find in this uncertain, under-the-sun world. When we build our life on that firm foundation, man, that changes everything. Knowing that God is in control can give us the courage to act faithfully. Knowing that God made everything gives us the boldness to take some risks. And we don't have to wait for certainty. And let me tell you, I am preaching to myself here. We don't have to wait for certainty before we act. God made everything so that we can send it out on the water and know that after many days we'll get it back. Solomon wraps up the section in verse 6 in, in a way that sounds a lot like verse 1, and he's really deliberate in that, of course. And it really emphasizes the charge to be bold yet wise in the midst of all our uncertainty. Look at verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, don't let your hand rest, because you don't know what will succeed, whether one or the other, or if both, will be equally good. Think again of the farmer even today. Think of the farmers today. This is the time of the year, maybe it's late, I don't know, but they're preparing to take tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars and bury it in the ground and hope for the best. Do they know that they're going to get a good crop? Man, we've seen lately absolutely not. They don't know that. Can they, can they be wise and try to manage risk and do all that they can to make wise decisions and how they invest? Of course they can. Of course they can. But who knows what the weather's going to do for the next six months or eight months? Who knows if that crop is going to fail or come up a hundredfold? We could talk about this in our own backyards, right? We, can, we were out last weekend in the backyard, and the garden has melted. So we could start saying, hey, there's black topsoil. Let's start putting our seeds in. It's probably not wise to do that at this point. 
But who knows? You take the risk, right? Verse 4 tells us that, that some will see the uncertainty and they will just panic and they won't plant a crop at all. And others will wait too long at the end and, and they'll wait for perfect harvest conditions and the crop will be wasted because it's left in the field. The people in the example aren't willing to take the risk to produce a crop. But this is exactly what Solomon is calling them to and calling us to in the, the fields or crops of our own life, if you will. Even though you don't know what's going to happen, take every opportunity to put in the work because you don't know if this will prosper or that will prosper or both will prosper. Again, most of us are not farmers, I would assume, today anyways, but the same principle applies. Since we don't know what God will prosper, take every opportunity and take multiple opportunities to work boldly. Jesus, of course, offers similar advice uh, he tells his hearers uh, this in the parable of the sower. This comes from Matthew 13, maybe you remember it. He tells the story of a sower who went out to sow. And as he sowed, it was, he was planting, some of his seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Now, no doubt that this farmer, this was not his first plant, probably. He knew when he went out, he probably stepped out and, and he had his bag of seed next to him and the birds knew they, knew, they knew he was coming. And so he probably left the house to walk to his plot of field and the birds maybe even started to circle, knowing this, guy, this guy's going to put seeds in down. We're here for a feast. But he still went out and he did it, didn't he? Liberally. He didn't know which seed would prosper, but he planted anyways. He took the risk. If you remember the story, some, as you said, some was eaten by seeds right away. Other plants at least landed and, and sprouted quick, but got scorched by the sun. Others uh, grew up and they looked like they might produce something, but then they got choked out by weeds. There was a lot of uncertainty in that crop, wasn't there? And if we just look at it, a lot of failures. We're given four options. That means to me, that tells me that three out of four seeds did not produce. That's, that's, that's a big ratio if that's how it landed, right? Would you take a risk if you knew that only you had a one in four chance of succeeding? Man, that takes me back to young Sean in the volleyball days. Probably not. But the farmer went out and he did it anyways because he knew that the seed that did land, it would prosper and produce 30, 60, even 100-fold crop. So it's worth it. In the midst of uncertainty, we are told to be bold and be wise because ultimately God is in control, even in an uncertain world. Now Jesus, of course, wasn't just trying to train up pastors when he told that story. Not pastors, sorry. Train up farmers. Maybe he was trying to train up pastors. That's probably true. He wasn't just trying to train up farmers, but he told the story with a much deeper meaning. He would go on and explain that the seed is the word of the kingdom of God. Now you and I are to go out wisely and boldly and to sow the word of this kingdom liberally because we don't know when or where our God will prosper it. I bet we can think of examples in our own lives where, where someone said something and it was just a little seed and, and maybe, you know, nothing happened at the time, but eventually that seed prospered and, and now we're here. Or maybe you can think of times where, where you talked about Jesus to someone and, and it seemed like it just bounced off the wall, but later they came back and said, 
What do you think about this? After the first service, um, someone came to tell me the story of, of, of Mark Hall, who's the lead singer of Casting Crowns. And, and he told the story at a concert where, Mark told the story of, at a concert where when he was a kid, he was coming home from a football game, a car full of fans from the high school football game or whatever, and he knew that he just, he just knew he needed to share the gospel with one of the guys in there, and, and he, he didn't know what to say, he didn't know how to do it, and it's, you know, teenage angst, right? That, you know, four-year-old angst too, this is about the same. But finally, as they were driving, he said, I just have to say something, and he, and he was driving along, he said, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He kept driving, and he said it was the most awkward 10 minutes for the rest of the drive ever, ever. But he said, 30 years later, I got a phone call. 30 years later, he got a phone call. And it was this guy who said, hey, do you remember me? Mark Hall is now famous, casting crowns, so you could find him on the internet or whatever. Do you remember that, that conversation 30 years ago? Well, I'm married, I've got kids, we're serving in a church now. And I gotta tell you, that must have been really hard for you to say that back then. But thank you, right? That's, that's a long-term return on a seed. Just this week, I, I was in a, a meeting with someone, sitting down with someone who had nothing to do with church, nothing to do with anything. And um, as we were about to wrap up our time, she said, so what are your weekend plans? Always a tricky question for a pastor, right? What are your weekend plans? Well, and so one option could be, well, you know, we, we went skiing yesterday, looking forward to skiing. It's supposed to be really nice on Sunday, so kind of we'll see. But I said, well, actually, you know, I'm the pastor at Trinity down the street, and so Sunday morning I'll, I'll be there, 9, 15, 11. Who knows? Again, who knows? Maybe that seed got eaten by the birds as soon as I left the room. Maybe that, that, that thought will go around for a while and something will grow and die away. But it's something, right? Scatter our seeds liberally. Jesus commissions us as his followers, as his disciples, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, kind of the hub of the religion at the time, right? In all Judea and in Samaria, to, to a people that the Jewish people said they don't even deserve the good news. And Jesus says, no, 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 you go there. And to the ends of the earth, go and scatter kingdom seeds. Now, I bet, I would guess this morning that you're more or less in one of two camps. For some of us, we needed to hear this message this morning to remind us to step out, to take risks, to scatter seeds, no matter how uncertain things are around us. When we look at the world around us and the culture around us, it's really easy for us to think, you know what? It's time to batten down the hatches. It's time to, to protect ourselves, to, to not say things that might be offensive, to not do things that might be offensive, to not, let's just, everyone's against us. But no, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to keep sowing seeds in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth, in Canmore, in Banff, in Alberta, in Canada, to the ends of the earth. By his power, he'll bring a return. We go and we talk about Jesus. We use our actions to reflect Jesus. You know what? With all the, the devastation in the world, in relationships even, the the picture of a, not a perfect, but a functioning marriage is really attractive. It, it breaks my heart to hear how many of my kids have friends with split parents already. And just like, there's, there's, there's something 
holy and healthy. And w- the world doesn't want to say it, but the, the, the best outcomes that we measure come from a father and a mother in the same home, raising their kids. And that's not to say other ways aren't good. They're not the best. That's not to, to heap guilt or shame on, on situations by any stretch either, right? I want to be careful of that. But the way we, we relate reflects Jesus. The way we, we treat the, the barista, the way we treat the person that cut us off on the road, the way we, we treat people around us can point people to Jesus and sow seeds and sow seeds and sow seeds. In the midst of uncertainty, we are wise and bold. For other of us, maybe the reason that we're here or listening to this is because somebody else was bold and somebody else sowed seeds. Maybe you came across something that we shared on social media or saw the sign and, and came or, or saw our link online and joined us online. Maybe someone invited you and you're, you're here paying attention or here listening because someone invited you. And I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. It, if you're watching online or listening to the podcast later, I can't tell you how much it means that you would take this time and, and entrust it to, to me and to us as a church. Maybe this morning that first bold step for you is to start following Jesus, to kind of let go of trying to control everything yourself and trust that Jesus knows everything that you need. And that's a great step, and I would love to talk about that with you and pray about that with you. And let me humbly say that, that this, that Trinity, is a great community to come around you as you take that step. Because we don't do it on our own. We do it in community. Maybe for you this morning, that bold step in the midst of an uncertain world is to just even take time to consider what it means that God made everything. And that's another great step, and I would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Wherever we are, it's really easy to get discouraged by uncertainties. Sometimes we're discouraged by, by our lack of success or that things aren't moving as fast as we planned. And, and sometimes social media is a horrible place for this because I can look and I can see guys that I went to high school with and I was like, thought maybe I thought myself better than them or whatever. And I look at their lives now and I was like, why? Why, How, why am I not there? Why, why are my plans not working as good as theirs? We can be discouraged by that. And especially in our culture, it's hard to live in a not knowing space. Ask any high school student, what are you going to do with your life? What a question. And it can seem better to just play it safe. Make the easy choice. Take the easy turns. But let me tell you that if you only play it safe, you will miss out on a bunch of God-given opportunities. The biggest, biggest growth times in my life did not come when I played it safe. They came when, when I found myself on an airplane somewhere south and east and a long way from home, a place I didn't really want to be, but maybe my wife wanted to go, where I had to then rely on God to carry me through this experience of another culture, another place, another whatever it was. The biggest growth times in our lives won't come when we play it safe. And so this passage urges us precisely because of the uncertainties, precisely because we don't know what God will prosper, to use every opportunity to work boldly and wisely. And then we trust the results into the hands of the Almighty God, 
who because of Jesus' work on the cross is our Father in heaven, and he will take care of it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for, again, this, this day, this text, this time we could be together. I pray this morning that, that um, you would help it to sink into our hearts, that you would help us evaluate maybe our, our past, our present, and our future, and look at where are the things that you're calling us to, to step out and take a bit of a risk in. Help us to, to learn even to trust that you've got us. I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, give us the courage and boldness to keep sowing kingdom seeds everywhere we go. So that when we find ourselves, as, as we sung, when we find ourselves on that day in front of you singing that hymn of heaven, we're, we're not just there by ourselves. And we don't just live this life now thinking, man, I hope that day comes soon so we can just get there and be done with all this stuff. But rather that we can live this life liberally sowing seeds so that we can drag as many people as we can along with us and we can arm in arm sing our hymn of heaven to you in that day. In Jesus' name we pray.